0: morning again, we're in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 17, and um, keep on moving through our narrative through this gospel. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's not really narrative, even though it's telling stories, uh, gospel, the, the genre of gospel is very unique in that narratives follow a, uh, a certain pattern where it has a conflict, climax, and a resolution of that conflict. But uh, the Gospels don't really follow that because you don't know exactly where the conflict is and where the resolution happened. Uh, some might say it's the cross, but um, uh, is that where the, the conflict was resolved, or was it resolved at the point of of birth, like it was a done deal. Once he was born, he was going to resolve the whole thing. So, uh, gospels are are very unique in their way of literature. But Matthew chapter 17, and we'll be reading from verse 14 all the way to verse 21. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 17, uh, verse 14. The word of God says. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long will I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move. From here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Let's pray. Father, I pray now as we look into your word that uh, your spirit would illumine our minds. Father, my thoughts that they'll be quickly forgotten, and that we could meditate this week on your word, not to just to have another story. But to be doers of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> what is the point of, of a disciple? Like, like, what's the point of, of having a disciple? Or, or why would you have a disciple? Or, or say you're a you own a company and you have people under you, or uh, what's the point of training employees? What, what, what are you hoping when you train that employee? Or we could go a step further. Uh, what's the point of parenting? What's the point of taking your kid to that school? Hopefully the end result is not just a little piece of paper, right? Hopefully you have a, an image of what you want your kid to be at the end of their education, and you think that by enrolling them in this place that this will accomplish that end, that goal, that purpose. Well, what is the point of parenting? How do you know that you're successful? Like, what, what image do you see when you see a disciple, a trained employee, a child that graduates? What what image, what comes to your mind? How do you say, oh, this was successful, no, this was not successful. This was a failure. We would think that in some aspect, the the discipleship process, that training process is to be in line with the person who is training, right? Uh, If you're discipling the person, hopefully you're living a life that seeks to glorify God, and hopefully you're helping the other person also live that life to glorify God. And you can see that through actions, through decisions they make if they're glorifying God, if they choose self or if they choose God. And, you know, if you were to have employees, uh, hopefully you would train them to do the job that they're doing, right? I mean, If they're not going to do the job, there's really no point in employing them, right? I mean, unless you're just giving away money. And in that case, I'll give you my phone number after the work, I mean, after the service, right? Uh, in parenting, hopefully you have an image of what you want your kids to look like. What are they supposed to do? How are they supposed to live? Uh, how, will children be successful in in your mind? How how do you picture a successful child? Hopefully that image is in accordance with God's word that you are thinking through scriptures and you're saying this is what a, a person looks like that glorifies God. So I'm doing things in this kid's life to bring that about. We see Jesus is working with these disciples And he's been teaching them over and over again using different methods because he has an end purpose that basically what he did with them, they're going to go out and do throughout the whole world. It's not going to be just an Israel-Jerusalem deal. This thing is going to spread all out. And as he has been faithful in obeying the Father, the disciples have to be faithful in obeying the Father. That's the point. That's the end result. Is someone who will obey the Father. As we look at this, we also see that Jesus has set his face towards suffering and pain. He set his face towards Jerusalem. He's he's going each step now, gets him closer to the cross. It would be illogical to think that a good disciple is someone who is going to listen to the teaching of the Master, uh, but as the Master approaches suffering, the disciple will take a different route and avoid that suffering, and then meet up with him again on the other side. That would be absurd to think that, right? Because the disciple is supposed to be following after his master, and his master is going towards suffering. And that's the problem with following God, is that as we follow God, sometimes there's suffering involved in our life. Now, what we're going to be looking at today is that we're supposed to live every day by faith through a complete dependence on Jesus, by coming to Him, by pleading, and by depending on Him totally, totally depending on Jesus. Uh, And what I want us to believe, more than anything, is that a life of faith is a life of complete dependence on God. That's what a life of faith is. It's a life of complete dependence on God. Your sanctification is a complete dependence on God. How you become less like yourself and more like Christ is something that Totally depends on God. Now, as I say that, uh, some of you, I can already see, and those who are watching online, I can feel the tension in your jaw. It's like, I don't know about that. I will sanctify myself. I'm the one that's going to do this. I will put forth the effort, and if there's going to be any sanctifying, it will be done through my efforts. I know, I know. And, And really... I'll probably go the next 30 minutes through this and I probably won't change your mind. Uh, you'll probably still think that at the end of the day, you're going you're to put your two cents in. You're, you, you've got something to give towards this. So, but please, please, let's keep an open mind and we'll work through this text and then um, you can come and correct me after the service, all right? Uh, here we are in this service, uh, here we are in this text. And the first thing that we see is that, verse 14, when they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus. So we remember the last uh, sequence of events is that they are now descending the mountain. Uh, Some have thought it's Mount Hermon, but verse 22 kind of puts them in Galilee. So they're descending the mountain. It might be Mount uh, Moran, because as you descend Mount Hermon, you're kind of far away from Galilee, kind of way far away from the crowd, It could be, we don't know, the the point wasn't which mountain it is, but he's coming down this mountain and there is a crowd. Now you remember Jesus has picked 12 disciples. Three of those he decided to take up the mountain because he wanted to transfigure himself in front of them. He's moving back down and there's a crowd. And we can assume in this crowd that there's the other nine, right? The other nine were left down below. And not only are there the other nine, but we know from different gospel reports that there was also women that followed along in Jesus' crowd. And that there was other individuals who would appear and disappear depending on what sermon he, he did. Uh, John chapter 6, there was a whole group of disciples, and he started talking about, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, and, and they, it says some of the disciples departed. So uh, depending on the sermon, there could have been a lot or lesser group of of disciples, and then there's the people of the town, and so there's a crowd, as they're coming down, there's this crowd of people, and they're all there, but there's one man in particular, we don't know anything about him, just a man came to Jesus, uh, falling on his knees before him. Uh, We don't know anything about this guy, we don't know how he voted in the elections, we don't know anything about his, his theology. We don't know if he'll if he believe that Jesus will eventually just die for the elect or that Jesus will die for all humanity. Will salvation be just for a particular or will it be for all? We, we don't know anything about this guy. But what we do see is that this guy comes and he falls down, kneeling before Jesus, which is a posture of humility. It's, it's kind of hard to be arrogant when you're kneeling down And he comes before the crowd, before Jesus, and he kneels down before him. I think there's some applications that we can look at in our own life. The first is, uh, we shouldn't try to solve our own problems. We really shouldn't. I mean, I know that we want to try to be involved, but here this man, and we've read the text, so we know what's going on with the son, here's a man who has a problem that's beyond his ability intellectually he, he, he's tried to figure it out but he can't figure it out it's it's past any resources he has he doesn't have any doctor friends that can help him he, he doesn't have anybody that he can i'm sure he's exhausted everything and now jesus is there and he's going to come and approach him but he's he's decided to make the correct decision which is to come to jesus now like i said we don't know anything about this man and we don't know if there was like a dramatic change that happened. We don't know if like three weeks earlier he decided to stop, uh, you know, being a drunkard, He put drugs aside and, and, you know, started helping the poor and so forth. And, and he changed his life and now he's going to come to Jesus. The text doesn't say that. Rather, what we see is a person who is in need. And just as they are, they come to Jesus. They don't try to, he didn't try to fix himself. As he is in his situation, he comes, but he comes with humility. He comes humbly before Jesus. And and as I think about this and I apply it to our own lives, there's not this idea that you have to somehow change yourself to be able to come to Jesus, that I'm going to fix myself up, and then once I'm all fixed up, then, then I'll be someone that Jesus will accept. No, it's to come, but it's to come with humility. And he humbly comes before Jesus. I would encourage you to add one extra step, and that's to come quickly. Not not to delay. Not to think, well, I've got this situation coming on in my life. I've got this this difficulty, but I'm going to keep on trying to work it out. I, I think I can fix it. Like if it's a Rubik's Cube or something. No, no, no. Come quickly to Jesus. And as we see this man, as he comes quickly to Jesus, we see that... he's going to ask Jesus for something. He says, Lord. Now, does this man know theologically all the implications of the fact that he's Lord? Does this man know that Jesus has created all things and that he sustains all things? Probably not. He he probably doesn't understand. It's probably more of a term of respect towards him. But he calls him Lord. Lord. And He is Lord. He's sovereign over all. And He has this uh, command, this, this He's pleading with Him, have mercy, which is to show a great concern for someone. A great concern. So He moves pretty quickly from the pleasantries of Lord right into His demand, and His demand is to have mercy. And the reason that He wants mercy for His Son to show a great compassion for Him is that he is a lunatic. That's a word that means uh, they have epileptic seizures. They, he keeps on having all these seizures. And the idea is that this is a continual thing, and based on these seizures, he is very ill, or he, he suffers badly because of them. He, he's in anguish. He's having these seizures, and he's in anguish. Now, if you think that that's bad enough, I would think that that's bad enough. Uh, he, he not only does that, but for uh, he often falls into the fire and often into the water. There they are cooking, and um, here's the son, and he's there, and all of a sudden he falls into the fire. Can you imagine the horror? Can you imagine the horror this father is feeling? Uh, in, in any given moment, you don't know what's going to happen to the kid. I remember I was, uh, I was a volunteer in the um, emergency department at, um, at uh, Baptist Hospital in Winston-Salem. Uh, my job was, uh, was as, as the person came in and needed help medical help, usually family came along too, and my job was uh, we could offer water, cups of water, and there was some warm blankets. I mean, it's very helpful, right? Uh, and that was my job. I offered water and warm blankets to people. Uh, here their person is, uh, their loved one is in the emergency room and I come up with would you like some water? Would you like a warm blanket? You know, uh, that, that was my job. And uh, I remember this one day that this kid came in, this family was out camping uh, and uh, they were uh, camping around Boone area. Uh, they were, had a, their tent set up, they had a nice little fire and somehow in playing around, a kid tripped over, a seven-year-old kid tripped over legs fell into the fire. From the waist down, he was burnt, burnt. He was in anguish. He was suffering. And the parents were in there, and you could tell on their face the anguish that they were feeling for their son. And I had water and a warm blanket. (laughs) Uh, Not very much help. I can't imagine what what these parents are feeling. This guy, he says, my son, he keeps on falling into the fire. And not only is he falling into the fire, but falling into water. My wife and I, we've never wanted a pool in our home because uh, I would live, we would live just totally looking out at the pool, making sure no one fell in. If a cat fell in, that was fine. But uh, can you imagine just always looking out to see that there's no one in the pool? I mean, it, it would be just terrible all the time. And this is what this guy is living with. And it it has this idea that's a a repeated, continual thing that the son is doing. Now, if you think that that's bad, if you think that that's the worst of the situation, it gets worse. Because verse 16 says, I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. Oh, can you imagine? They they thought maybe Jesus, and I'm not talking about disciples in general. I'm not talking about religious leaders, a a witch doctor or something. No, they took them to Jesus' disciples. Can you imagine the hope that swelled up with them? Jesus' disciples are here. I'm going to take them to Jesus' disciples, and and they're going to do something. They didn't cure them. They weren't able to restore him to how he was before, is the idea. They couldn't restore him. Oh, can you imagine the anguish of the Father? Now in this, we've seen that he comes humbly before Jesus with humility, just as he is, and he is making this request for his son. And he makes this request in such a way that uh, he doesn't hold back. I mean, I would have sugarcoated it a little bit and left out the part of his disciples because, you know, you, you take certain pride in, in the people that you're teaching, right? You, you think about your own kids, and, and if you told them how to act in a certain place and how to behave in a certain place, and then they are not acting in that certain way, uh, you, you kind of get embarrassed, right? You're like, Stop that. Stop that right now. You, know, uh, you, you want to see them act correctly. And, and the fact that he pulls it out in front of their faces is like, your disciples have failed. They they, they didn't do it. I mean, it's almost like it's his fault. But this man, he doesn't hold back. He tells his problem, he tells the whole problem to Jesus. And he presents it before him. Now, as we we see this, it moves in now to Jesus, and we see this man's complete dependence on Jesus to, to do this work. Verse 17 says, And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long will I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. So we have two statements, we have two questions, and then one imperative sentence. The first one is, you you unbelieving, uh, it says, you unbelieving group, generation, you unbelieving kind, it's someone who has no faith at all. They don't believe. Not that they have a little bit of faith and they're not exercising it, but they just have no faith at all. They don't believe. They are without faith. Like if faith is this, they're over here. They have none. Not only are they without faith, but it says that they're perverted, which means that they are are they have been made crooked. It's not that they are making themselves crooked. They have been made crooked. In a time past, they have diverted themselves. So this is a a straight road, and they decided to go off on a tangent somewhere else. They're they're crooked. They've departed from what's accepted. They've departed. They've taken off into some other direction. So they're unbelieving. They're perverted. And here's the question. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? And the imperative is to bring him here to me. Bring the child. Now, what's the, what's the father going to do? Well, we tried this already. Your disciples couldn't. If your disciples couldn't, how can you do it? I mean, you could have thought that way, right? You know how hard it is to bring my son here? I mean, he's always throwing himself down. And you want him to just me to bring him to you now? He could have put excuses but we see that he doesn't. In fact, it says, And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Now we see that this real physical problem that this guy's having, this, these epileptic seizures that he's having, this suffering that he's feeling, is caused by a demon that's in him. So it's a spiritual problem that he's he's really dealing with. It's manifested in the physical aspect, but it's a spiritual issue that he is having And Jesus is the only one that can deal with the spiritual problem that this kid is having. And it says that he was cured after a couple weeks, right? No, at once, immediately is the the, the expression. Immediately he is healed. Now in this, the disciples, uh, they decide to come up to Jesus privately. And they want to know why exactly they were not able to cast out this demon. Why, why could they not cast it out? And Jesus explained to them, it's because of your littleness of your faith, or you could say another way, your, the poverty of your faith. Your faith is poor. It's not rich. It's, it's little. It's teeny tiny. Poverty stricken. And he says that if, if, Conditional sentence, if your faith was the size of a mustard seed. So he's going into, he's using a figure of speech. So he's not, he's not saying we're going to be moving mountains, but he's using a comparison of figure of speech to say if you have this just this tiny, tiny little bit of faith, you can do great things. Great things. Now the question is how is our faith? Because not only can you do great things like move a mountain. But he says, and nothing will be impossible to you. Can you imagine if we had just a little bit of faith at North Oaks Baptist Church? I can't remember exactly how many acres we have here. But even if we had just a little bit of faith, we would use every single inch for God's glory. Now I'm not talking about having a carrot farm. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that every square inch is used to make disciples, to share the gospel, to be involved in people's lives, helping people out of sin, training them to go share the gospel. I mean, if we had just a little bit of faith, there wouldn't be a square inch of this property that wasn't being used for that. We could have a counseling center. We could have a training center. We could have a place that would help addicts. We could help have a place that helped help those who are abused. I mean, just think of the possibilities with this land that we had, if we just had a little bit of faith. If we had just a little bit of faith, I mean, maybe in the next 20 years, we could send out 20 families from here to go start churches around Texas. Can you imagine? Wouldn't that be fantastic? That if we had just a little bit of faith, we could send families out, 20 families over the next 20 years, to go start a new church, and it'd be a new place where the gospel would be spread where people were being discipled, where people are having a relationship with God. If we just had a little bit of faith, if we had just a little bit of faith, can you imagine? We, we could send 20 families out. So I'm, I'm not talking about the 20 for the starting of the church. I'm talking 20 extra to go be missionaries to unreached, unengaged people groups. We, we could support them fully. We wouldn't even use the IMB. 20 families we could just send out if we just had a little bit of faith, and we could see people coming to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, people being discipled, going from their ways of sin to living for the glory of God. Could you imagine what the next 20 years could look like if we had just a little bit of faith? Oh, it would be so marvelous. It's unfortunate, though, that many times we read this verse and really all it does is expose our selfish heart because we think, hot dog, I have this little house, I'm going to transform into a huge house. Well, I've got this this car that runs, but I want to have this huge, I want mean, to have this little mustard seed and it's going to make this huge car. It's going to be fantastic. We say, I've got this person that, it, it's my loved one, it's, it, that person is sick, but I'm going to use my little mustard seed and I'm going to heal this one person because I want this one person in my life. And We use this verse just to expose the selfishness of our hearts rather than imagining what God could do on this property, in this state, around the world with North Oaks Baptist Church and that's just our church. It'd be incredible to see what the next 20 years could do if, if we just had a little faith. It would be amazing. Now, how do you do this? How do you build up your faith? How, how do we do this so that we're not having this little faith? How, how do we do this so we don't have this poverty of faith? Well, a lot of it has to do with how you interpret verse 17. How you interpret verse 17. See, there's there's two main ways that we can interpret verse 17. Verse uh, 17. There's one way, and some of you will have this way of believing. And it's, uh, you read 17 and it says, And Jesus answered and said, and so he's answering and saying, and and the way you're interpreting that is that he's saying not only to the crowd, uh, to the Father, to the Son, and, uh, and to his disciples, he's saying he's addressing them all. He says, "You unbelieving and perverted generation." And then you get to the questions, and this is how you read the questions: "How long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you?" Bring them here. Oh, just totally exasperated. Can you imagine how these disciples have failed? That, that's one way of looking at it, and, and in that way of looking at it, basically, it's uh, the disciple should have been self-sufficient. The disciples should have been independent. The disciples should have been somebody who could do it all on their own. They should have pulled themselves up, and they should have been doing this, and they have just failed Jesus, miserably failed Jesus. And some of you live your life like that. i got to do better. I failed last week, but I will do better. And and you, you bite down, and you keep on, and you keep on, and you say, I'm going to do this. It's a miserable life to live to be honest, of trying and trying and trying, but you never get there. There's another way of looking at this, and it's making a difference between the two groups. See, in verse 17, it says, you unbelieving, that means no faith at all. And then in verse um, 20, he calls them of little faith. So he's talking to two groups of people. Two groups of people. One group that is perverted, they're crooked, they, they have no faith at all, and then there's another group who has a little bit of faith. The questions can be taken different ways. The question is, how long must I be with you? How long shall I be with you? Well, he answered that question in, Genesis, uh, in John chapter 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do a whole bunch of stuff. In fact, you'll one day plant yourself and you'll be self-sufficient. And you'll grow your own little branches and have your own little fruit. It'll be great. No. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Now, I I know I can already feel the the, the muscles tensing right here. You're like, I can do something. No. Uh, Let me give you an, uh, uh, an example here as we're finishing up. Hopefully I won't go over time. Uh, But we didn't have a Wednesday or Sunday night service, so I can go over a little bit. You know, that's how that works. Um, Let's imagine for a moment you're at the mall. The mall is crowded. There's no COVID. It's crowded with people. What they do at the mall, I have no idea. But there you are. You're at the mall. And you're standing beside this object, and, and it's a bomb. It's a bomb. And uh, you get this phone call, and it's a bomb technician. They're not going to be able to make it. And lo and behold, right beside the bomb is the tools that you need to to work. And the bomb technician calls you up and says, "All right, I need you to do something. I need you to open it up." And so you grab the screwdriver and start opening it up. And uh, and you look inside, and you got three three wires. You got a red wire, you got a yellow wire, and you got a blue wire. There it is. And He says, I need you, I need you to cut the blue wire. And lo and behold, you have a pair of uh, wire cutters and you insert it there and you put it on the blue wire and you cut it. Now, did you do that? Well, obviously, right? It's not like you're an avatar and, and he's working through you, right? Obviously, you did that work. Obviously, you grabbed up the wire cutters and you cut the blue wire. Obviously, did you do that? independent of yourself. Dependent of yourself. Did you come up with that idea of cutting that wire? No. In fact, had the bomb tech not told you to cut the blue wire, you would have probably tried to run away. And in trying to run away, you would have been blown up. This is getting very graphic, I know. But it's getting warm in here, so I'm going to try to wake you up. Uh, You have to depend on the bomb tech to tell you what to do. So it's possible to act out in action that's based on obedience to another person's command. You get that? It's possible to act out an action based on obedience of someone else's command. You didn't think up yourself to cut the blue wire. No. You're dependent on the tech to tell you what to do. Now, let's let's go about a a couple seconds before you cut that blue wire. Let's say that um, you have an addiction to cutting red wires. Something in your past, I don't know. Uh, Something happened, but you have this desire that, man, I I really want to cut that red wire first. I'll cut the blue wire right after I cut that red wire, but oh man, it would bring me such satisfaction to my heart if I cut that red wire first. And, and, And I don't know what effects it causes you. I don't know your childhood experience or whatever, But you're there, and there is the red wire. It's just looking at you, ready to be cut. But you decide, instead of cutting that red wire, you cut the blue one, and they save everybody. Was your desire to cut the blue one? No. Your desire was to cut the red one. Did you obey your desire? No, you didn't obey your desire. Because you decided to obey the bomb tech over the feeling you had inside. Therefore, you depended on the instructions of the bomb tech. See, so it's possible to have a desire of the will to do something bad, but to ignore it to do what you're instructed to do. It's possible to do that. A lot of people say, I'm going to start serving the Lord when I feel like it. I don't know when that happens. It comes down to obeying God. It's possible to act out actions based on obedience rather than your personal desires. And here's this is what Christian life is all about. It's about obeying. It's about obeying what He's revealed in His Word. It's about putting that into practice. And that's what a life dependent on God looks like that I'm not going to do what I desire to do, but I'm going to submit to the will of the one who instructs me. And that is a life dependent on God. Now the question is, do you have a life that's dependent on God? And the answer might be no, because you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You've never had a moment where you have put your faith in what Christ did on the cross and saved you of your sins. You might be saved, but you've been depending on your own instructions. Maybe something happened in the past and you're now you're just reacting to life. It's ignoring that. Putting your desire aside and obeying. That's a life dependent on God. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that the Holy Spirit would examine our hearts. I pray that we would live lives dependent on you. Father, if there's someone here who has never accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, I pray that today will be the day of salvation. Father, I pray that uh, if there's a believer here that somehow is feeling that they are going to live this life by their own sanctification, that somehow they're going to, I pray that you would make it very clear that unless they depend on you, they will not become more like Christ. Father, I pray that the Spirit would convict our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you please?